Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert began with a brand new piece commissioned by the orchestra specifically for this very Valentine's Week concert. It's a commission for the composer Neil Rolnick, who's a very well-known and much-loved American composer who happens to have been a professor at RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, here in the Capital Region for about uh, 27 or so years. And Neil's celebrating his 60th birthday this year, although he seems like an eternally young person. And as part of that birthday celebration, the symphony and I asked him to write a set of love songs. And Neil posited the idea that he would like to write, well, first he actually wanted to write what he called the grandfather songs, because he's recently become a grandfather, and he spends a lot of his time taking care of his two young grandchildren, and thought it would be nice to write very different kinds of songs about grandparenting. But then as he cast around for a text, he uh, began to think that he wanted to write a set of love songs, but love songs not from a young love perspective, but really much more from a mature perspective. He himself has been married to the same wonderful woman for 30-some years, his wife Wendy, and uh, he's uh, been, as he says in one of the songs, lucky in love. So he turned to a good friend of his and a fellow collaborator, Larry Beinhart, the very accomplished novelist from the Hudson Valley who wrote the novel on which the movie Wag the Dog is based. And Larry wrote a set of five very uh, whimsical and also slightly acerbic love poems that Neil then set to music. What's interesting is that even though Neil's view, as he himself admits on love, is altogether always optimistic, Larry's, I think, and I don't know Larry as well, although he's a wonderful gentleman, seems to have had a somewhat different experience uh, than Neil's in that he certainly seems to have had wonderful experiences in love, but also knows about the the grave difficulties that one can encounter in love. So the songs, in essence, and the poems that they set are really a a sort of narrative about from start, from falling in love to essentially death, uh, the sort of trajectory of a a real love relationship uh, that spans a whole adult lifetime. And they're beautiful songs, made more beautiful by the two soloists who were involved. When we discussed the commission, Neil very much wanted to try to engage two of his friends, two people he's been excited to work with, particularly the violinist Todd Reynolds, who's certainly the leading electronic violinist in the world today and a resident of the Berkshires here in our neighborhood uh, and a fabulous guy who was dabbling in computer-generated loops and, and effects probably 30 years ago when most people weren't even thinking about the idea of turning a violin electronic. So he was in front of the, the orchestra playing uh, solo lines alongside the singer with his Mac Pro there uh, open up. And is his uh, whole set of pedals that he shifted to change different kinds of loops and sound patterns and such. And next to him was Theo Bleckmann, the German born cabaret and jazz singer who now lives in New York and who sang the song. So it was a kind of a double concerto for singer and violin and orchestra. And I should mention that there are five songs, but between two of the songs or at two points in the cycle, the orchestra stops and there's sort of continuous music 
coming out of the, I believe it's the second song and then the fourth song leading into the next song. And uh, this material is actually improvised by our two soloists, both of whom are quite remarkable improvisers, based on some things that Neil had given them, but really their own improvisations. And I remember one of the critics writing about the concert wrote some rather alarmed note to say that uh, he couldn't, wasn't quite sure, but he could have sworn that Theo was using something that looked like a small toilet plunger in front of his mouth to change pitches. And in fact, I want to make sure that that critic knows that that in fact was a small toilet plunger. It actually is called a plunger mute, and it's used by brass players and has been used since the really the 20s or 30s as a very important sort of wah-wah effect. It makes this kind of wow-wow-wow-wah effect. And so Theo, instead of using it on a trumpet, was simply using it right in front of his mouth to kind of alter the pitch and give it interesting texture. So here now is the world premiere of Neil Rolnick's Love Songs for Voice, Violin, and Orchestra. The songs are titled One, Freedom, Two, Secret Source, Three, Marital Sport, Four, Something to Savor, and Five, Lucky in Life. It has a beautiful lyric that goes something like, you come in alone, you go at the same. If you're lucky in life, love comes along. Neil Rolnick's love songs. The soloists are Theo Blechmann, vocals, Todd Reynolds, violin, with the Albany Symphony, and me, David Allen Miller, conducting. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Neil Rolnick's brand new song cycle, Love Songs, for voice, violin, and orchestra. The singer was Theo Blechmann. The violinist was Todd Reynolds. The orchestra was the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Next on our program was a concerto of a rather different sort, a concerto by arguably the greatest concerto writer in all of world history, the man who essentially pioneered the genre of the modern style piano concerto, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. As you probably know, when Wolfgang moved to uh, Vienna in the early 1780s, he came principally as a keyboard virtuoso, forte piano virtuoso, the ancestor of the modern-day piano. And he played recitals in all the finest salons and princely homes around Vienna, and that was how he began to make his name. And he also began in the 1780s to compose a series of fortepiano concerti, uh, concertos being obviously solo works for himself to show off with. And he then began a series of subscription concerts where he essentially sold tickets to these concerts of his new piano concertos. And he would put symphonies on and other works as well. But the big draw of these concerts that Mozart gave through the mid-1780s were the world premieres of these incredible new piano concerti that he wrote for his own use. And of course, since he was such a dazzling virtuoso on the piano, what's most remarkable about these pieces is the way that they wed this brilliant, innovative virtuosity to uh, the, the most keen and uh, elegant musical sensibility, perhaps, of all times. So you have to remember that before this time, while there certainly were keyboard concertos and other kinds of instrumental concerti, they, they really were more the Baroque form of concerto in that there was an orchestra playing most of the time and there were sort of soloistic instruments at the fore, sort of a concerto grosso idea of a, a group or a solo instrument that kind of came out in front a little bit. But in terms of the piano, this relatively new instrument, there really wasn't much in the way of the concerto repertoire. And uh, Mozart took this kind of Baroque, old-fashioned style repertoire and turned it into a really dynamic, dramatic form. In essence, I think what makes these piano concerti so amazing is that they are, are almost like little, little non-verbal operas, each in their own way. And so 
sometimes Mozart sets the piano against the orchestra, but much more often it's very much like a dialogue or a conversation or a set of conversations, a sort of dramatic conversation between the piano and the orchestra. Another element that makes Mozart's concerti so absolutely extraordinary is his use of the wind ensemble. You know, prior to this, wind groups within orchestras tended to be a couple of oboes, a couple of bassoons, maybe a couple of trumpets or horns, but we didn't really have the modern wind ensemble of the the flutes, the oboes, the clarinets, the bassoons, the two horns, the two trumpets, eventually the trombones and tubas that we have today. And it was really Haydn and then Mozart who introduced certainly those woodwind instruments into the ensemble. So one thing to listen for is just the incredibly beautiful and unique and uh, singular use of the wind ensemble. He, he uses the wind instruments separately, but he also uses them as, a, as their own little ensemble set against the strings, which are then again set against the piano. Uh, this is one of Mozart's most famous and uh, beautiful concerti. It's the concerto in C major, opus 21, Kerschel number 467, the one that has the very famous slow movement, which I'm sure you'll recognize as soon as we play it. It's played by a brilliant young American pianist, 25-year-old Orion Weiss, who uh, is just a dazzling pianist. He had been a student of Emmanuel Axe's at uh, Juilliard and plays with a similar kind of elegance and musical depth that Manny always exhibits in his performances. I should also mention just a word about the cadenzas, the solo parts at the ends of the, the movements that um, Mozart often would write for himself. But in this concerto, Mozart didn't leave any cadenzas, so the cadenzas are really Orion's own. Quite a dazzling one, I must say, in the first movement. So here now, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's Piano Concerto Number 21 in C Major, Kerschel 467. The piano soloist is Orion Weiss, and the orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. Even though this evening's concert is about abstract music, with the exception perhaps of Neil's love songs that open the, the program, I wanted the pieces all to sort of have some kind of tangential connection to love, it being originally performed, the, the program, during Valentine's Week. And while the Mozart is, of course, pure music and doesn't have any particular love idea connected to it. Uh, it is, to me, the most luscious and loving and life-affirming music imaginable. On the second half, I wanted to put a big, beautiful symphony that in a certain way commemorates love. And so I selected as our symphony Robert Schumann's Symphony Number no. 1 in B-flat major, the so-called Spring Symphony. Now, you remember that Schumann had one of the great romantic attachments of the entire 19th century in, in music. When he was still a very young man, really still a piano student, he fell madly in love with his teacher's daughter, still a teen or a preteen when he met her, a young lady named Clara Wieck. Her father, Frederick Wieck, was a very stern and difficult taskmaster, and Schumann eventually fell out with Mr. Wieck probably because uh, Frederick Wieck noticed that Schumann was making googly eyes at his very young daughter, Clara. And so Robert and Clara, when she was still a teenager, embarked on one of the great musical love affairs of all times. And when she finally was of age to be able to be married, Schumann still had to um, sue in court for Clara's hand. And finally, after a very long, protracted and, and really unpleasant court battle. He was awarded the right to marry the young lady. And so even though Frederick Wieck was very uh, unhappy and unpleasant from that point on, Clara and Robert married and eventually had a great number of children. And before his very tragic uh, mental illness, which eventually killed him, they had a very beautiful life together for a number of years. And in the first year of their marriage, Robert Schumann, uh, sort of in this first outburst of marital bliss and happiness, he composed a total of, I believe, 168 love songs, all of them inspired in one way or another by 
uh, his romantic attachment to Clara. And in the second year, Clara herself, who was this incredible pianist, really uh, one of the towering performing artists of the 19th century, she really felt that Robert should undertake to take on the mantle of the great Beethoven and that he really had symphonies inside him that should should come forth. And so in the second year of his marriage, he turned away from song a little bit and wrote two symphonies, one of which is this first symphony, the so-called Spring Symphony, which is a sort of pay-in to the wonders and the beauty and the warmth of spring, all things that we certainly welcome in the months of February and March here in the Capital Region. And he actually went so far as to base some of the musical motives on a poem about spring. So there's a famous poem of the time, In tale blute frühling auf, In the valley spring bursts forth. And that's actually the first call that the trumpet and the horn announced the symphony with. So lots of romantic references, as you can imagine, from a work of the Romantic master Robert Schumann from 1841. The first movement, Andante un poco maestoso, slow walking tempo with a bit of majesty, followed by an allegro molto vivace. The second movement is a very delicate and beautiful larghetto, kind of slowish movement. The third movement is a brilliant scherzo, a fast uh, movement in three, a sort of fast dance movement, molto vivace, very, very fast, with two really interesting trios, different kinds of music that, that come inside the, the bigger scherzo. And finally, a very beautiful and uh, mysterious introduction to the finale, the last movement, followed by an allegro animato e grazioso, an animated allegro, an animated fast tempo that's also very gracious, charming, and rather delicate last movement for a symphony. But altogether, a beautiful symphony commemorating Robert Schumann's love for his new bride, Clara. Here it is, Schumann's Symphony No. 1 in B-flat, the Spring Symphony. The Albany Symphony is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion.